Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need money. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Jeff Fisher from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Good to see you, gents. Hey, hey how's it going, We've Chris? got the latest earnings from retail, housing, healthcare, and more. We will talk with the leaders of Whole Foods Market. And as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin this week with the big macro. On Friday, both the Dow and S&P 500 hit new all-time highs after China's central bank cut interest rates for the first time in two years. Ron, Europe's central bank also expanded uh, their own QE program. The little free money forever program that we've been doing, they're catching on. I've got a lot of commodity stocks and industrial stocks that are very happy right now. Uh, yeah, it's interesting to see. We, we definitely were seeing some concern and some weakness, especially coming, you know, as you said, out of China and Europe. And to see that they can actually can take these moves to stimulate the economy, which we have been doing for so long and, and recently pulled back from, except, of course, we have uh, low interest rates still. Um, it's interesting to see. And I think what we're seeing is as long as inflation can remain tame wherever you go, then um, stimulus can can be put forth and uh, hey let, let's let's pop up asset prices yeah I'm not everyone <laughs> I'm not gonna channel my inner Paul Krugman but I'm kind of like what took so long I mean I think this is more <laughs> a result of you know if you look at what's happened in the U.S. we've been doing uh, essentially easy monetary policy and massive stimulus for almost six years now and uh, it's just where we are today is we have GDP that's growing at a, a better than three percent on an annualized basis we've had I don't know how many months of better than two hundred thousand uh, new jobs and so. You know, it's not better for everyone, but it's certainly you can say overall the U.S. economy is doing pretty well, and it's it's probably a result of a lot of the big actions the Fed took over the last six years. Yeah, so both Europe and China were worried about inflation uh, rearing its early ugly head, and since it hasn't, that's given them the the room to pile on more stimulus. This is the first time China's raised rates in about two and a half years, and simultaneously they increased prison terms. For political dissenters, so it's a good, good <laughs> wow. one-two combo. Somebody did some research before the show. And I just made that up, okay. actually, but uh, it, it's uh, it's good all around. And I think we're seeing good numbers continue here as well. We just this week got some solid existing home sale numbers, which we've been waiting for. Some uh, good Philadelphia index numbers came out to show some strength in the economy. Um, Buzzing along. We'll get to housing in a little bit, but let's start with retail earnings. And Matt, my favorite headline for this company was Best Buy surprises almost everyone with great quarter. I know I was surprised the third <laughs> quarter profits came in higher than expected. And even their same store sales, much higher than expected. Well, in- include me. I mean, I, I um, was one of the group of many investors who uh, probably a year ago left this company for dead. I mean, we, we know that uh, you know, they've, they've faced the, the threats from companies like Amazon. They've been called the showroom for a lot of online uh, commerce. Uh, but yeah, there, there's been a, a revival here. Uh, the e- earnings per share was a beat. Revenue was a beat. Um, the company's done a lot to uh, on on its price matching strategy, so that if you're in the store and you find another uh, another item online that's that's cheaper, Best Buy will match that price. That's worked. Um, and and their online revenue, which uh, their online business, which we haven't really talked about, uh, was up about 21% in the quarter. So. Great news for Best Buy. I still think the ultimate problem with companies like Best Buy is that they've got a massive store footprint. Um, even if they're matching, uh, you know, matching uh, prices to online comp- 
competitors. They have such higher costs. They have inventory management that they have to worry about, where a lot of companies like Amazon don't. So ultimately, I still think Best Buy loses the war, even though they've won some battles this year. Part of this quarter was attributed to the iPhone 6. That certainly helped. But uh, to your point, with the holiday quarter, it does increase the expectations just a little bit, a little bit more pressure. They kind of need to have this type of quarter a couple more times. I, I, I agree. I agree. Shares of Target up 5% this week after third quarter profit came in higher than expected. Uh, Ron, what stood out to you in Target's quarter? I think the new CEO, Brian Cornell, seems to be doing a nice job. Um, you know, Obviously, the company was struggling for quite some time with the data breach problem and, and that lowered mm-hmm. store traffic. And what's interesting is, we're continuing to see lower sto- uh, store traffic, but it is it's the rate of, of diminishing growth is is getting lower. So things to seem to be firming up, and and the profits are there. Same store sales a little bit anemic, but positive at one point two percent. Online sales grew at thirty percent. Um, so they, they made some positive comments about the holiday season. I think you know they're focusing on apparel. Um, they're focusing on the way the stores are presented. Um, that's a lot of what the new CEO ha- has brought on. And so I think things are looking better certainly than they were. Does this give you optimism as we head into the holiday season? Because certainly a year ago. It seemed like in the retail industry, things were a lot more pessimistic. And now, we're on the heels of, as we talked about recently, Walmart and now Best Buy and Target, three really big retailers, all delivering pretty good quarters. You know, it, it seems like we're set up for a good holiday season, which probably means we won't get it. But <laughs> we have the stock market at all-time highs. We have job growth. Things are going pretty well. GDP growth, as as Maddie said, gas prices are low. Yeah, exactly. It seems like we have a perfect storm for some people to go and, and buy some some good stuff for the holidays. We'll have to wait and see. Any listeners we have in Buffalo, New York, do not appreciate your perfect storm. Let's move on to housing-related stocks. Lowe's third quarter profits up 17%. They also raised guidance, Jeff, and stock up around 8% for the week. Yeah, Lowe's has had a good run uh, the last couple of years, at least. And they are seeing positive trends in, of course, consumer confidence, but also homeowners' views around home values, which are continuing to go up. And they're seeing confidence now in local markets, home markets, and price appreciation there. You know, a lot of a lot of appreciation has come from urban dense areas and now it's spreading out to smaller areas and that's that's a good sign. So overall, like you guys just mentioned, they're seeing higher personal income, more use of revolving credit, which you use on your house if you're going to do improvements, and lower interest rates, lower fuel prices, all helping the retailer spend more. So low stock looks uh it looks all right. It's up 200% the last five years. It's, it looks a little little above its average valuation the past several years, but it's still reasonably priced. And that's kind of what I'm seeing with the market overall. All these big companies, they generally look about 10% above their long-term average price, but still reasonable. I was going to say, Lowe's hitting an all-time high this week, but uh, pretty amazing that it's it's still not yeah, insanely overvalued. And I'll throw in there, Chris, when you say that, a lot of, of investors that we meet, when they hear all-time high, they think, well, it's too late, I've missed it. And they don't realize the company has grown to all-time highs. Earnings are at all-time highs. So, relatively speaking, the stock is just steady state. Home Depot's third quarter results look pretty similar to Lowe's, Ron, and yet shares down slightly for the week. Is that a matter of the valuation of Home Depot stock, or is a little bit of this 
people waiting for the other shoe to drop on the data breach that <laughs> I, happened I earlier this year. I think probably data breach. From a, from a valuation perspective, I think Home Depot is actually trading at a, a multiples that are a little bit less than Lowe's. Um, so I think it's that, first of all, it appears that Lowe's is catching up to Home Depot, which it's been trying to do for forever. Um, and in terms of uh, same-store sales, comparable store sales, you're seeing them come pretty darn close. Um, Home Depot at 52 Lows at 5.1 um, this last quarter, and so people got a little bit excited about the underdog, and I think um, sent the stock higher. But then, as you said, um, although Home Depot had had nice results with a 14% profit increase, we have the overhang of the data breach problem, which is probably going to cost uh, 34 million plus. They they really can't tell for sure, and that just kind of puts a, a pall over over the stock for a bit. Are we no. t- it's interesting. Lowe's said in this call about 90% of their stores are very close to their main competition, Home Depot. So they're all they're clustered together. So it is kind of a head-to-head competition. Although I think a lot of investors look at any particular industry and think, well, there there can only be one winner. And you look at the performance of these two stocks, particularly over the last five years, mm-hmm. it certainly blows away. Both that have really way. won. And you know, we don't need to overcomplicate investing. When housing was down in the dumps in 2009. Where could it go except up eventually? So buying either of these two companies was a was a good move back then. By the way, Ron, uh, we were talking earlier about Brian Cornell, the new CEO at Target. Yep. Um, I would say he had a pretty easy act to follow uh, <laughs> because Greg Steinhoffel, his predecessor, uh, not a great job. Always uh, nice to come in with low expectations. On the flip <laughs> side, uh, Greg Manier has been CEO of Home Depot for just a few weeks. He's got kind of a tough act to follow because Frank. Blake really turned that company around. Did did a great job, and then of course you come in, and then you have the data breach problem, and things get a little dicey, and Lowe's is catching up. But having said that, I, as Jeff said, both of these companies are doing quite well. Home Depot is still up nineteen percent year to date, not as good as Lowe's twenty seven percent, but still solid. Coming up, we'll give an inside look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jeff Fisher, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. Guys, the latest quarterly report for Kerr Green Mountain looked pretty good on the surface. Fourth quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Uh, they wrapped up a pretty good fiscal year, but uh, Maddie, the guidance the guidance sort of did them in. Guidance was disappointing. They also announced that their CFO was stepping down, which that's the one person from the C-suite. When they step down, you kind of get a little concerned. Um, but, you know, overall, revenue was up 14%. Their uh, sales of single-cup coffee pods up 22%, um, even though the uh, sales of brewers was down. But that's that's where they, they make substantial amount of their profits from on, on the pods. Um, I'll just say this about uh, Kirkery Mountain as it continues to hit new all-time highs, um, even though it's down a little bit after its guidance. I just feel like Keurig, I mean, we were so worried about Keurig for a lot of reasons. Inventory issues, some accounting problems, um, the idea that their patents are rolling off in 2012, and so all these competitors are going to come in and build new single-serve machines. But I just feel like the Keurig, for whatever reason, it's the brand, it's the platform now that customers prefer. And the Keurig 2.0 is going to be a big holiday seller this year, no doubt about it. And you have companies like Starbucks, Kraft, and recently Coca-Cola that continue to, to like the platform and invest in Curry Green Mountain. So, it's, it's an, it's, it remains a very positive story. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. I just bought the 2.0, and I think uh, part of the strength we're seeing in pod sales is because they're very smart. You can't use the old pods in the new 2.0, so you've got to go out and replace your whole coffee stash. <laughs> oh. Or you can go on YouTube and figure out how to kind of like you know jerry rig the whole thing. But I would never do that. Of well course. done, well done. Uh, I should point out, even with the drop in the stock this week. This is still the number one performing stock in the S&P 500 year-to-date. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not bring up activist investor David Einhorn, who a few years ago came out with a 110-page PowerPoint presentation shorting Kerr Green Mountain. Very quietly this week, David Einhorn closed his short position. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, I mean, he was also the same guy who shorted Chipotle a few years ago, or maybe a year or two ago, because of Taco Bell's impending competition. I He's had a bit of a bad run, I would say, David Einhorn. Yeah. Shares of Medtronic, a big player in the medical device industry, hitting a new all-time high this week after second quarter results came out. Jeff, uh, kind of the opposite of Keurig Green Mountain, in the case of Medtronic, uh, good results, but even stronger guidance. That's right, Chris. And this is after several quarters, really years of slow performance. And now, now for Medtronic anyway, a good performance was 7% gain in sales, 7% gain in, in earnings, uh, billion dollars in free cash flow this quarter, and expectations for stronger sales down the road, especially in emerging markets where they're growing 12-14% year over year, and they hope to get that even higher. So, Medtronic now, is, is they're the fourth largest medical device maker in the world. I, I always thought they were number two or three, but there's J&J, Siemens, GE, and then Medtronic. And they have a lot of room to grow with a $60 billion market value in a you know healthcare industry that's in the trillions. And I think they're set up to continue growing quite well as they acquire Covidian, which is in process, and they work through synergies there. They're going to save a lot of money as they combine those two companies. I'm, Shares look reasonably priced. I'm not taking anything away from GE or Johnson & Johnson, but those are huge companies with a lot of other irons in the fire. Medtronic, is, I, I don't want to say they're a pure play, but that, that, this is their main business. They are the purest play, yes. I agree with that. And, they, and they're doing it quite well. They have a lot of innovation, a lot of patents coming through, and uh, they have a lot to, to look forward to going forward. Let's talk burgers. Shares of Jack in the Box up this week. Fourth quarter profits were lower than expected, Maddie, but they had some good same store sales numbers at Jack in the Box and Qdoba, the Mexican restaurant chain that Jack in the Box is the parent company of. Right. Uh, you know, just looking at Jack in the Box stores, uh, comps there were up 3%, which, uh, you know, for, for a, a restaurant like that, I mean, and we know they refresh the menu, they've refreshed a lot of their stores. So maybe it's not too surprising, but I thought that was a pretty strong number. Well, let's be clear McDonald's would kill to have oh, some Jack Oh, my gosh. <laughs> But Cadoba is really, as you said, it's really the story. I mean, comps there were up 7.7%. And I was looking at the guidance. Now, Cadoba is around 32% of the company's revenue now, but it's certainly their growth engine. I mean, they're, they're guiding for six, between 6 to 8% comps for Cadoba in the, in the coming year. Uh, and they're going to be opening 40, between 40 and 70 new re- restaurants. And on top of that, 30 to 40 new franchises of Cadoba. That's over potentially 100 new units that they're going to be opening in Cadoba next year. So clearly, we know the burger, burgers are working, and that certainly shows up at Jack in the Box's numbers. But but even better, I mean, burritos are certainly working, and Cadoba is you know the best one of the best Chipotle knockoffs out there, and so probably not a surprise. Let's get to the stocks that are on our radar this week, and bring in our man Steve Broido from the other side of the glass. Ron Gross, what are you looking at? I'm going to stick with the existing home sale and home improvement theme um, from earlier in the show, and go with Tile Shop um, TTS. 
a retailer of specialty tile, had a really tough year. The stock has been cut in half this year. Um, they have a new CEO um, that's just come on board, and they're kind of uh, trying to correct some of the missteps they had. But there really should be plenty of growth going forward. There's only about 100 stores now. I think they should be able to get to 400 over time. But they're slowing their growth, which I think is important, so they correct some of the problems they have. But at $9 a share, I think this is a severely undervalued stock. And insiders have been buying it, a oh, lot you know, of shares. I actually made note of that and forgot to say oh, it. So thank you, Matty. I appreciate Blind that. In insiders have been buying like crazy. Matty, with the assist. Uh, Steve Brooks? Question about tile shop holdings? You bet. My question is Will they uh, expand to selling all types of flooring? Um, that's an interesting question. Lumber Liquidators, on the other hand, has just announced that they're going to get into the tile business, but um, Tile Shop has n- not vice versa. We don't know yet. Um, that could be a, a, a logical expansion potential later on, but l- let's see them focus for now, I hope, on tiles. Matt Argersinger, what are you looking at? Sure, a little bit of a momentum play here. I'm going with Polaris Industries, uh, ticker's PII. Stocks has been a monster, hitting all-time highs. But as I was watching the news this week, and I saw the the massive snow drifts that are hitting uh, upstate New York, particularly the Buffalo area, and I see the only guys on the road are the guys with snowmobiles. Maybe think of Polaris, which is one of the biggest uh, makers of snowmobiles and off-road vehicles. Uh, just seems like they're going to have a pretty good season. Steve, question about Polaris? Will uh, four you know four wheeling and snow machines, all that stuff. Is there really a chance this thing's going to grow in a massive way? It seems like it's always been this tertiary market. Just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I I don't know. I, I disagree. I think they I think they are becoming more popular. I I mean, uh, one person in my family just had a trip where they it was almost completely off roading, uh, and they they loved it. So I, I feel like it's a bit of it's bigger than just a fad. Jeff Fisher, what's on your radar? Skyworks Solutions, Steve. I've I've celebrated celebrated the stock before on the show, and uh, it's it's doing well. They make analog semiconductors that go into smartphones. But they're also moving into Internet of Things in a big way. Anything that needs to be connected, Skyworks can provide a high-end solution for it. The ticker is SWKS. They're in every iPhone, every Samsung phone, etc. Steve? Does being in every iPhone, you've heard that a lot with InventSense and you know products like that, is that really that big of a deal? It all depends on your mar- margins. Skyworks has really strong financials for any company, let alone a chip maker. They they uh, attribute that to providing a specialized solution for each customer. Steve, Skyworks, Polaris, Tile Shop Holdings. You got one you're particularly curious about? I might have to go with Skyworks on this one. All right. You're not going to hop on a snow machine Fixed. and do a little off-roading? <laughs> and oh. go to a tile shop? No, I don't think <laughs> oh, so. Not this week. Steve. <laughs> All right, Ron Gross, Matt Argusinger, Jeff Fisher, guys, thanks for being here. Thank, thank you. Coming up next, Motley Fool CEO Tom Gardner sits down with the leaders of Whole Foods Market. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Two weeks ago, we taped the show in Austin, Texas, and at that same event, Motley Fool CEO Tom Gardner had the chance to talk with John Mackey and Walter Robb, the co-CEOs of Whole Foods Market. John Mackey's also a member of our board of directors. The conversation covered a range of topics, with John Mackey starting by talking about conscious capitalism. Well, I actually wrote a book on conscious capitalism called Conscious Capitalism, and we outlined four principles in that book. The first one is every business has the potential for higher purpose that includes, but is not limited to, just making money. 
Secondly, that the business should be managed on behalf of all of the major stakeholders, not just the investors. So customers, employees, suppliers, uh, communities, and the larger environment. Third, we need a different kind of leadership, more of a servant leadership that is serving the higher purpose and the stakeholders. And fourth, you have to, you have to manage your culture in such a way that allows the people that participating in the business to flourish and uh, reach their high poten highest potential. It is true in investing as it is in business that um, many of the best decisions we make actually harm us, could be perceived to be negative in the short term, but cause us to be great in the long term. What is an example where conscious capitalism may almost appear to set Whole Foods back relative to other companies over a six-month period or a one-year period, but because of the way you're making decisions, you believe it's setting yourself up for the best result for all stakeholders over a longer period of time. Well, one example might be, uh, you know, we don't, we don't, op you know, we, we say this publicly, and uh, we don't operate the business for the, uh, for the, the shareholder isn't, the, isn't necessarily the first stakeholder. So the first You realize that we're in a room of shareholders here. I'm realizing that, I realize. Are you telling me to stop? <laughs> no. I thought you wanted controversy. Um, <laughs> No, but the, the happy ending is that the way that we go about it by putting the customers first and the team members first is we get to the shareholders. We get them in a very good result, but a more complete result. And so I think sometimes when we, we say that, uh, people take it as you did perhaps, that we're, we're, not, we're not thinking about the shareholder return. Or, and, uh, but that's not, we're just thinking about it differently. We're just taking a different road to say, if we uh, look after our customers, if we look after our team members, then the results will come from that. That's what John meant by the, uh, the sort of uh, system approach to business. Well, of course, if you'd bought our stock in our IPO back in 1992, it's, uh, it's up 40x since then. So we've been, hopefully it's been great for the shareholders. And we've been great for all of our stakeholders. So what Walter means is that we see the stakeholders as integrated we manage the business so that all the stakeholders can be flourishing and winning. That includes the investors, but we're not th putting the investors' well-being ahead of our customers' well-being or ahead of our team members' well-being. So that is the, dis the distinction. There's a line that's assigned to the Grateful Dead. I don't, think, I don't know if it was said about the Grateful Dead, I think, but maybe by one of the Grateful Dead band members, that um, we're not trying to be the best at what we're doing. We're trying to be the only ones doing what we're doing. So tell me if this is a fair assessment of Whole Foods that for most of the first, maybe up until the last, say, 10 years, it could be said of Whole Foods, there's really no one that's doing what Whole Foods is doing. And you over could, the last- You could still say that. Okay, that's my, that's my question. Are you still the only ones doing what you're doing with, with the Sprouts and the Trader Joe's and, and the, the, uh, the larger markets and Walmart getting its organic department, um, or what is it that you're doing, that you're the only ones doing, and, and how do you think about that going forward? Well, I mean, it's the nature of capitalism that when you create something that's creating value for people, and it's, it's, it's growing, expanding, it's popular, uh, you're going to get imitators, you're going to get people that are copying you, and, and that's how progress happens in our society. Uh, it f competition forces you to innovate, it forces you to get better, it forces you to improve. And Whole Foods has had this major impact, and we have now lots of people studying us and copying us, and that forces us to improve. That forces us to to lower our prices. It forces us to to uh, create value in different directions. It forces us to differentiate. So yes, we have more people copying what we're doing, but we're not standing still. We're continuing to up our game, and and that's why I think no one's quite doing what Whole Foods is doing because. Uh, 
we continue to introduce new programs that, that are not yet been studied and copied. What are those, some of those programs? What are some of the unique innovations happening right now? And maybe also, what do you see happening over the next five years? Well, of course, we think about innovation from a cultural standpoint that, uh, you know, when you set up an organization that you want to distribute the decision making, the intelligence. And, and so literally, for example, our regional presidents have $200 million of capital to invest on their own authority against an EVA accountability. But so you, you start out by organizing yourself where folks can move faster and make decisions, right? So the evolution is happening. It's almost like part of the air, right? So our, our kind of formula is uh, empowerment. Well, there's a John and I's job, the E-team's job is to kind of hold the frame for the company to it, but distribute that intelligence and, the, and that, that ability to move. In, in, so empowerment plus collaboration equals innovation. So we would, we would argue that innovation isn't delegated to an innovation officer. Innovation is injected in the culture. It's part of how the company rolls. And then the, from those things, const, constant innovation is coming all the time. But, Collectively, if I give you one example, is the one that's on the table right now. We've taken a look over the last five years, John mentioned, at, at conventional produce. There's organic produce and there's conventional produce. What does conventional produce mean? It doesn't mean anything. So what you find and you get in there, it's a real genie box in there. And so what we've done is construct uh, a set of transparent standards into what's happening there. We've, we've taken out some of the neonicotides and some of the organic phosphates that are, that are truly harmful. And we give the customer this standards good, better, best rating that gives you a visibility into a broader stewardship index of how the produce has been raised. There's one example. I, I can give you several more. Uh, we like this question. <laughs> so he's right. We, the Responsibly Grown is a new program we've introduced. We worked on it for a number of years. And it's well, what's, the, what's the program? I missed it probably. Responsibly Grown. We are rating uh, all of our produce, or we 60% now, 100% eventually. Uh, in terms of its sustainability, in terms of its the, the, what kind of water usage, the soil, the way the labor's treated, we're going to create more transparency in this whole process. And if it, if it doesn't measure up, it won't. We won't put it in our stores at all. So it's it's. Uh, but then also our animal welfare rating program we introduced a few years ago, where we're rating our different species in terms of how these animals were raised, and, and the better, the higher the rating, the more. Uh, the more humanely those animals are treated in their, in their processes. We were just in Houston yesterday. We just opened a new store in Houston, Post Oak, our biggest store in Houston. The very first store we've ever done, and uh, probably, the I think, the first one in the United States, we put our own brew pub in there. We actually had this bar that uh, we were making 20 different kinds of beer. And I was told that it takes us about two weeks to brew a new batch of beer. I, I was, under, I was told yesterday we will run out of beer in the first four days because the, the demand. I had no idea Houstonians had such a problem with alcohol. Uh, we, we might actually add it to the that. Store opened into, the store opened at 8 o'clock, and uh, we, the bar was filled Knocking up. Knocking it I, back. Or, you know. We thought it would be something people might get a drink uh, after work. I, I, but, uh, but we opened up our first tap room just five years ago in Cottingtown, uh, and, and again, I don't think supermarkets tend to do that, and it's now we've got over 100 around the United States. Uh, prepared foods. Um, we don't talk about it this much, but Whole Foods is operating the highest volume restaurants in the United States. If you were to add up, like our store at, down there at Six and Lamar, if you were to add up all the prepared foods venues, and I was to tell you the sales numbers, I'm not going to. It, but it would blow you away. It's amazing how much we're doing in prepared foods. It's, we're operating the highest volume restaurants in the United States. 
So these are things people are not yet trying to copy Whole Foods on, but undoubtedly they will, and we'll continue to innovate. We're not going to sit still. We're going to continue to, uh, to up our game. Awesome. What do you think about the introduction of new concepts in new stores, and, what, and, and how do you think about renovating existing locations? So one of the questions from one of our analysts is, in some of the DC locations, they hear brew pubs coming. When's it going to come to an existing location, and how do you make the decision between introducing it to a new store and existing store? Well, we give you the beer so you don't notice it until we refresh it, right? <laughs> um, well, we're on a tear with that right now. We're going to do 40 refresh stores in this first Q1, and then we're going to do 200 by the end of the year. So um, out of out of a total of around 400, we just crossed 400. Yeah, we just crossed 400. We did three this week, so uh, it's been a big week. It's been a good week for Whole Foods this week. I don't know if you check in your monitors there, but uh, we're very pleased with the last couple of days. Hope you are too. Um, but you're asking. I mean, what happens is we now have an expectation with our regional presence. We expect every new store to have an innovation, to have, to have some, something they can bring you know, to the table so we can, and it spreads very quickly. So, uh, and then typically they backfill into the, other, into the existing stores. That's typically how it's happening. Would you agree with that? Or? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Whole Foods is very innovative. Like, uh, uh, let's, not only, I just mentioned that tap room we opened up in that store, but there were additional innovations and little things that we noticed, like they integrated their they did a self-service bakery that integrated muffins, croissants, cookies. It's all together. I hadn't seen that before, and I thought it was a really good idea. I took pictures, and sets of those pictures are already flying around Whole Foods Market. Uh, and the, 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 the sales in our little uh, uh, brew pub were three times greater at that store yesterday than any other uh, uh, bar tap room that we have in the Southwest. So it's like three times greater than anyone uh, other store in the Southwest is doing, and it's like I'm talking to the regional president, and he's now trying to figure out how to cram in new brew pubs in the stores that he hasn't developed. Because the in. margins will be pretty remarkable on those yeah. two. Yeah. Good and, health is beer. Yeah. Uh, but we've done it, and we're doing an experiment in Austin that is being extremely well received uh, since people live in Austin. We've we got tired of getting kicked around in the whole paycheck stuff, and uh, we've radically lowered our produce prices here. Uh, to where we think we're the least expensive produce, or we match HEB, Sprouts, anybody else in produce, Trader Joe's. Uh, and uh, it's been tremendously received. We've had huge lift in sales. The experiment is so radically successful that we're already trying to figure out how to, to, to increase that uh, experiment in other, other stores. Where Walter and I were just talking about it, we need to sp spread this experiment in, into other cities. I'm not gonna tell you which ones, but we're, we're going to, and then probably by the end, by the time we get into next fiscal year, 2016, it'll probably be across the company. So we innovate, we experiment, the successful experiments get replicated, the failed ones get tossed out. And it, it makes Whole Foods diff difficult to compete with, compete with because we're so decentralized and regionalized that we allow all these experiments to occur. We're able to innovate faster than most of our competitors, which tend to be more top down. A couple, um, two very good questions for me before we go to the Q&A. Um, just one of them, how's Apple Pay going? Apple Pay is, um, I mean, we're the, we, were the only, we were the only grocer in the initial set, and we were the first grocer to launch it. We just crossed 150,000 transactions with Apple Pay. I don't know, how many of you guys are using Apple Pay? 
Okay. Well, it's yeah. uh, it's phenomenal. It's it's as simple as putting your thumb over the thing, and away it goes. It's it's more secure. It's more convenient, and our customers are just are, are uh, they're using it. Mm. That's all I can say. Very quickly. Coming up, more with John Mackey and Walter Robb. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. I'm going to keep well my vegetables cart off and sell my vegetables. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Let's get back to Tom Gardner's conversation with John Mackey and Walter Robb, the co-CEOs of Whole Foods Market. Last question for me. Um, how do you decide whether to open a new store or buy back stock? Um, I have definitely heard some people out in the world say, I, want, I would like to see Whole Foods open stores more rapidly than they are. God, we're opening stores so rapidly right now. Walter, said we opened three this week. <laughs> we have 114 stores in development. We just opened, we opened or acquired 38 stores in our fiscal year 2014. We'll do 41, 43 this year. So we have enough free cash flow now to open stores as quick as we can, increase our dividend, and do uh, major stock buybacks. We bought back $336 million worth of stock in, uh, in at, the last at, 12 at months. Below $40 a share, right? Somewhere like 39 uh, most, most, of, most of it was below $40 a share. 37 yeah. bucks, I think, yeah. average 37. 37 and it increased our dividend as well, today. too. Yeah. So as an investor, when I look at companies, I particularly love to find Whole Foods early in the process when I can look at the executives and say, they're going to be there the next 15, 20 years. I look at Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, and I know that 20 years from now, he'll be Jeff Bezos' age. So you guys are now, you can give your ages, um, you're incredibly healthy for, for any age. Um, I thought that was a compliment. I'm trying to think about how that could have been an insult. I hope it's also an insult just for the fun of it, but it wasn't intended that way because John and Walter are 60, early 60s, 61. Right? Ballpark age, right? Sorry to do that to you. You said I, you could, I, you Twist could, a little bit there, fire. buddy. Twist. But the reason that I say that is, um, will you be leading Whole Foods for the next 10 years? It's obvious to me that it's your passion because you're following up each other's answers and you have a lot of things to share with us. But is that, should that be a concern? How should we think about succession at Whole Foods? So we were out at John's Ranch uh, about two months ago. And we pulled up, we, we, we did leave a little early to go out and have a talk. And we um, pulled up the chairs by the water. And John looks at me and says, you know, he says, I'm good for another 10 years. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty long time, right? That's a great time period. Hey, I'm good for longer than that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I meant good to do this for 10 years. Yeah. Right? I left the sex out. I'm sorry. Hey, Tom, I, I just... <laughs> I just had my telomeres uh, measured, and That's I was right. in the 98th percentile. My telomeres are longer than the average 10-year-old. So, um, That's what I meant by healthy for any age. <laughs> oh, look, I mean... But the succession question is yeah, an important good one. one. And I, I think it's an important question uh, that you should always be asking as investors. Because what usually happens when a founder-led company, the founder eventually gets old and, and, or dies, and they move on... And I think the companies come to a crossroads at that point. Now, a really good culture, if the board is smart, puts in a strong operator into that position. And so it's an operations bias to it, someone that's been part of the culture. And so that culture sustains itself. Uh, sometimes they put a financial type in, and it begins to now move away from its higher purpose that the entrepreneur might have had if he, hasn't, he or she hasn't institutionalized it. 
and then sometimes they feel like they need to bring an outsider in who's not in the culture at all. So I think it's the most important job that a board of directors does is they is succession in, in de dealing with crisis, but also with succession. I know Walter and I, every time we meet with the board, once a year, we go over who we think will be the successors to ourselves, who the board should be paying most attention to, and who should be in the discussion. That's that, that, and they are all or mostly internal candidates that you're discussing when you talk about that? Yes. I mean, uh, uh, it'll be up to the board to decide whether to look outside, but assuming the company's healthy and continuing to flourish, it would be stupid to look outside, frankly. Uh, it, you should, we, should, we have great management that's coming up that's young and vigorous and... and uh, Are you saying we're not young and vigorous? No, but I'm saying we're not young. I mean, you know, I can, I can, I can do the math. <laughs> Uh, and it, as long, you want cultural continuity until the business is broken. Then you want to. Then you have to bring in the outside. I mean, everybody ultimately comes from the outside. So you bring in outsiders. They shake things up. But you, they need to be enculturated, or you'll potentially have a discontinuous break. I think it's. I mean, they're great examples of great companies that brought in outsiders and almost wrecked their culture. Uh, Hewlett Packard's a great example. Carly Fiona came in and, and upset the apple cart. That's HP Way went down the toilet. Uh, another one, Home Depot. They bring in Bob Nardelli from General Electric. He starts trying to put GE stuff in there. Almost wrecks Home Depot. So, and there are other many examples of, of companies like that. So, hey, Steve Jobs has passed on, but uh, Tim Cook longtime Apple guy, and he's now beginning to show his own leadership style, and it looks to me like Apple has good continuity, even if they don't have a, a genius like Jobs at the helm any longer. One of the great things about investing and starting a company um, and working here for 21 years is the opportunity to meet people like you here in the room and spend an experience like this. Another great um, joy for us has been the opportunity to meet people that we admire and learn from in business. And that has been true of John and Walter since we met them all the way through. And that doesn't mean we won't, with super objectivity, analyze their business and figure out whether it's the right investment to make at right points in time. But for us, as we said earlier today, it starts with culture, starts with the leadership and the values of that organization. And so it's been a great pleasure to spend more time with you guys here today and to, and to have the friendship that we have with you over the years. So full on and thank you. Thanks very much. Full on. Hey, this holiday season, why not give a gift that will help your friends and family invest better? Motley Fool Stock Advisor is our flagship service. It's a great way to get started investing, so think about that for 2015. You can learn more just by going to mfmoney.fool.com. That's mfmoney.fool.com. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. The show is mixed by Rick Engdahl. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Mac Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.